Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, before we get into today's case, we do have something to talk about, and it is very exciting if you're watching me on YouTube, but you can see that I'm wearing the color orange, which I typically never, ever, 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 ever do, Um, but there is a reason for that, and that is because I wanted to show you guys the newest Killer Instinct March. Now, Killer Instinct has never had merch before. We've been doing this for four years and have never come out with merch, but it's always been something that I've really wanted to do. And so better late than never, we are here, we have merch, and the merch is actually going to drop in about two weeks from when I'm recording this. The merch is going to go live on July 20th, which is a Wednesday. So you guys will be able to see the entire collection. We're just starting off with sweatshirts, hoodies, and crewnecks right now in a variety of colors. As you can tell, I'm wearing the orange one. We also have green, we have black, we have gray, we have pink. There's lots of different colors. I even believe we have a light blue for the summer. And if you follow me on the Killer Instinct Instagram page, which again is just Killer Instinct Podcast on Instagram, I'm going to be showing you all of the different variations of it. So if you want a good look at it, you can go follow us there. But just so you get kind of an understanding of what it is, on the front, it just says Killer Instinct. And on the back, which I will pop up a picture right here, it just says Stay killer. So I'm really happy with it. I've been wearing these nonstop and been getting tons of compliments on them. So I really hope that you guys like that as well. So again, mark your calendars July 20th. Go follow the Killer Instinct Instagram page to get all of the details on it and to see everything more clearly. I'm going to be wearing a different color of the hoodies each week leading up into the drop. So you guys will be able to see the different colors as well. I'm not an orange person, but I have been loving this lately. I've been living in this sweatshirt. It is so big and cozy and comfy. But with that all being said, let's talk about the real reason we are here today, which is today's case. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are talking about Sierra Joggin, and this case is truly horrifying. It is a solved case, and I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say about it. So with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Sierra Joggin was born on February 11th, 1996 in Sylvania, Ohio. She was born to her parents, Sheila and Tom, and she also had multiple siblings. She had sisters, Ava and Kayla, and her brothers, Hunter and Carson. Now, Sierra graduated from Evergreen High School and went on to attend the University of Toledo. Some of Sierra's most favorite things to do were to play volleyball. She played all through high school and also played intramural in college. And she also loved to travel. One of her favorite trips that she ever went on was when she visited Italy. Now, Sierra loved her family and she loved spending time with them. She really valued family traditions. She always valued quality time that she could spend with her family. And after graduating college, Sierra had plans for working in human resource management. 
And at the time of her death, she was working as an intern at her uncle's company. Sierra was your girl next door. She was incredibly loving and kind and outgoing and bubbly. And she was said to be fiery and to have an incredible sense of humor. She always made everyone just feel really, really good. And while Sierra was at Evergreen High School, she ended up meeting a guy. Now, this guy was named Josh Kulazinski. And the two of them started out as friends and then best friends and then began dating. Now, even though the two of them went to different colleges after graduation, they defied the odds and they made their relationship work. It was said that the two of them were actually inseparable. If you saw one of them, more than likely the other would be right there behind them as well. Now, by the time that Sierra's death occurred, she was going into her junior year of college and her and Josh had been dating for several years at this point and they had gotten to the point in their relationship where they started talking about their future and marriage and they were even looking at engagement rings and they were incredibly excited for the future that they hoped to set up with each other. Now, Sierra actually decided that right before her junior year of college, she was going to continue the rest of her credits and complete her degree at home. And her family was incredibly supportive. So after that decision was made, Sierra moved back in with her family in Delta, Ohio. So this case begins on July 19th, 2016. So we're actually coming up on the anniversary of this case, and July 19th, 2016 was a Tuesday, and around 5 p.m., Sierra told her mother that she was going to ride her bike over to her boyfriend Josh's house that night. Now, this wasn't unusual because they didn't live too far away from each other, but also Sierra had recently purchased this brand new bike from a garage sale, and she was really excited about it. She wanted any excuse that she could to ride this bike and Sierra was an athletic girl. And so the idea of riding her brand new bike to her boyfriend's house was something that she was really excited about. So when she told her mother this, her mom didn't think anything of it. So Sierra left her house at around 5 p.m. Now Sheila, her mother, had to go out that night as well to run some errands and she didn't get back home until about 9 p.m. Now when Sheila pulled up to the house, she expected to see Sierra back at the home to see her bedroom light on. However, she was a little taken back when she got home and she realized that Sierra wasn't there. Now, even though she did expect Sierra to be home, considering the fact that it was getting dark outside, it's now 9 p.m., the sun has set, she figured that she was just still at Josh's house and that everything was fine and that she would be home soon. However, Sheila's mindset changed and the fear really started to set in at around 10.30 p.m. when Josh actually called Sheila and asked if Sierra had made it home safe. Now by 10.30 p.m., Sierra was still not home yet. And so when Sheila heard from Josh, Josh told her that Sierra left his house at around 7 p.m. that night and he had not been able to get in touch with her since. Now obviously this was incredibly alarming. So Sheila and Josh started calling around to some of Sierra's friends, calling her siblings, really trying to see if anyone had heard from Sierra. 
Sheila also posted on Facebook asking if anyone had heard from her daughter, and she also called around to local hospitals as well to see if there had been some kind of accident that would land Sierra in the hospital. However, no one had seen or heard from Sierra. So because all of Sierra's family's efforts were leading to dead ends, only several hours later, they decided to pick up the phone, call the police, and file a missing persons report. Now, considering the fact that Josh, Sierra's boyfriend, was the last known person to see Sierra, as well as the fact that he is simply just her boyfriend, I don't think it will come to any surprise to you when I say that Josh was the first person that authorities wanted to talk to and the first person that they really had their eye on. So they bring Josh in for questioning and when they sit him down, he starts to recount the events that happened on July 19th. He said that Sierra arrived to his house shortly after 5 p.m. and the two stayed there until about 6.45 p.m. when they decided to ride back to Sierra's house together. Now, Sierra was on her brand new bike and Josh was riding right alongside her on his motorcycle. Now, in order to set up the scene for you, I think it's important to note that the roads that we're talking about in this area, it's very, very rural. So it wasn't a very populated road that they were riding on. And Josh actually took a picture on this trip with Sierra. And he posted this picture on his Snapchat story at the time. You can tell it's just a very quick picture that Josh decided to take and decided to post. However, little did anyone know that that would be the last picture that Sierra would ever be in. Now, according to Josh, the two of them were just riding along the road for a little bit until Sierra only had about a half mile left to go. And that is when her and Josh parted ways and Josh headed back towards his own house and Sierra kept going towards her house. And the exact road that Josh and Sierra parted ways near was County Road 6. Now, the night that Sierra went missing, after her family had called the police, authorities went out patrolling the area, and that's when one police officer was driving along rows of cornfields, and he noticed that a section of the corn had been knocked over, and it was noticeable enough for him to get out of his car and walk towards the area. When he did this, he saw that Sierra's bike was lying several rows into the cornfield, and when he got a closer look of the bike, he noticed that there were blood stains on the bike handles and the seat of the bike. One of Sierra's socks was also found with blood on it near the bike. And in that same area, there were also a pair of men's sunglasses. There were two other items found there as well, and that was a screwdriver as well as automotive fuses. Now, all of these items were discovered about a half of a mile from where Sierra lived, and based on these findings, based on the fact that they found her bike, there is blood on her bike, they have a pair of men's sunglasses, and for whatever reason, there was a screwdriver and automotive fuses, police now believe that Sierra was abducted. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? 
Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, after finding the pieces of evidence that they found in the cornfields, police's next step was to then take those items and test them for any DNA. So they took the sunglasses that they found at the scene and they decided to test those for DNA. And they did get a hit on an unknown male's DNA. Now, in order to just do the process of elimination, authorities then got a sample of Josh's DNA because they figured that this would be the quickest way to see whether or not they could rule him out or if it would be a match. So they took Josh's DNA and the unidentified DNA from the pieces of evidence that they found at the scene and they found that they were not a match. Now, along with that, there was actually a farmer who called in to the police station about a day after Sierra's disappearance, and he said that he was actually driving with his son along the same road that Sierra's bike was found at around the same time that she had actually gone missing. And he said that while he was driving with his son, he actually found a motorcycle helmet on the side of the road. Now, instead of just driving past the helmet, he said that him and his Son stopped their truck and he instructed his son to get out of the car and grab the helmet. Now the man said that he didn't see any of the other items such as the bike or the sunglasses or the sock or anything like that else because that was all in the cornfield. However, the helmet was just out in the road. Now authorities knew that Josh was also driving a motorcycle that day. So even though he didn't come up as a match for the DNA on the sunglasses, they thought it was very coincidental that Josh was riding a motorcycle that day. And then this man found a motorcycle cycle helmet at the crime scene essentially and what was even more important on this helmet was the fact that there was a bloody handprint on the motorcycle helmet so with that all being found authorities now knew that they needed to go to josh's house and pretty much go through all of his belongings they needed to go through his clothes they needed to see if he had his motorcycle helmet they wanted to search his car. They wanted to look at everything. And so they went to his house and they basically did that. And at the time, Josh said that he was very frustrated over the fact that authorities seemed to have pinpointed him from the very beginning. And he felt like he was being targeted by the police and the FBI who were also brought in on this case as well because he felt like they were just looking at him and almost trying to make him fit somewhere in this case. However, when they got to Josh's house and started looking through all of his belongings, 
They noticed that Josh's motorcycle helmet was at his house in the same spot that he said it was always in. None of his clothes had any blood on them. They did find a shirt with a little splatter of blood on it, but they tested it and they found out that it was animal blood from when Josh went hunting not too long before that. So because of all of that, the fact that Josh's DNA did not match, the helmet was not the same, they were able to rule Josh out as a potential suspect. Now, like I said, the FBI was also brought in on this case. And I also mentioned earlier that Sierra used to wear a Fitbit. Now, if you don't know what a Fitbit is, it essentially is a watch that monitors all of your physical activity. And so Sierra would always wear her Fitbit. Like I said, she lived a very active lifestyle and she liked keeping up with her physical activity. So the FBI tried to track Sierra by using her Fitbit. They wanted to see if it could give them a potential GPS location as to where Sierra went, but unfortunately this did not help them in their search. Now, after police confirmed that Josh was not involved, Josh told authorities how there was a suspicious white van that he felt was following them on him and Sierra's ride back to her house. He said that he felt like the van would slow down to get near them and watch them, and Josh noticed it to the point where he actually would speed up to try and chase this van off. So it was kind of a push-pull game that him and this white van were doing. Now, Josh remembered this being so bizarre and so suspicious that he told himself to remember part of the license plate. Now, he was able to relay that information to police and to tell them what the license plate was, or at least what part of it was, and police were able to track down the license plate and track down the van. Now, the van actually belonged to a woman, and this woman had no part in this case whatsoever. She said that she felt like Josh was trying to drive her off the road. So it did seem to be just one big miscommunication. However, police did check her van just to see, and they did a search through all of that. However, there was nothing that linked her to Sierra, and eventually that woman was also cleared, and police were back to square one. Now at this point, several days had gone by and police still did not know what happened to Sierra or where she was. Again, they were very confident that she was abducted due to the blood found on her bike and due to the obvious signs of a struggle, but what happened after was still a mystery. Now, because police and FBI had no obvious leads at this point, they decided their next best bet was to go through the sex offender registry list. They wanted to do that to see if there were any registered offenders who lived anywhere near the crime scene. And when they did that, they were led to a new man. And this man is named James Worley. James Worley was a 57-year-old man at the time who was living with his mother about two miles away from where Sierra's bike was found. Now, the reason police were so quick to speak to him after going through the registry list was because James had served three years in prison for kidnapping a woman in the 90s named Robin Gardner. Now, the similarity here is crazy because James actually kidnapped Robin while Robin was riding her bicycle. Now, Robin luckily survived the attack and she was able to tell police that James held a screwdriver to her neck and threatened to kill her if she did not get in his van. 
So now we have two similarities here. The first one being that both of these women went missing while they were on their bike. Now the second similarity, if you remember, as I mentioned earlier, there was a screwdriver found at the crime scene where Sierra's bike was found. And here we have Robin saying that James held a screwdriver to her neck and told her to get in the van. Now, James also attended Evergreen High School, so the same high school that Sierra graduated from. However, James graduated in 1978. He worked various jobs when he was not in prison, including a farmer and a crew member for the county fair. He also started selling marijuana at 14 years old and had a 1.59 GPA. Now, after James was released for the abduction of Robin Gardner, he was then sent back to prison in the year 2000 for selling marijuana and the possession of weapons. And he was only sent back for two years before he was ultimately released in 2002. Now, because of all of the similarities and the fact that James only lived two miles away from where Sierra's bike was found, police knew that they needed to talk to James, but James was not happy about it one bit. He felt very offended, actually, that police would ever come to his door and think that he would do something like this. When police arrived at his house and told him why they were there, he said, I'm not out here killing chicks. That is a direct quote from James Worley. However, he did agree to let police search his property and you will not believe what they found. Before we move on any further, we're going to take a quick second and thank our sponsors for today's video. So like I said, James lived on three acres with his mother and on those three acres, they had multiple little barns and in those barns were either storage or workshops. And then you had the one main residential house. Now, while authorities were searching through each barn, they landed on one that seemed to be James's barn. And they could tell that for multiple reasons. The first is because James told them that it was his barn. And also it very much looked like James did motorcycle repairs in that barn and he had decorated it and it just, it very much was his barn. Now, while authorities were searching throughout the property, James was telling them that he was not responsible for Sierra's disappearance. He said that not only did he never know Sierra, he said that he had never seen her before. And it was almost like James had like word vomit. He just couldn't stop once he started talking because after he said that he'd never seen Sierra before and had nothing to do with her disappearance, he confessed and admitted to the fact that the items that were found at the crime scene being the screwdriver, the fuses, and the motorcycle helmet, he admitted that those items belonged to him. Now, James's story was that he was driving on the road after Sierra had already gone missing because he saw her bike in the cornfield. He said that his motorcycle had broken down in that very spot on the road, and he decided to push his motorcycle and his helmet in the cornfield as well because he saw Sierra's bike there. 
And he confirmed that while he was pushing his motorcycle, he lost his screwdriver, his fuses, and his sunglasses. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, the motorcycle was never found at the crime scene when authorities found Sierra's bike later that night. And you would be correct. And that is because James said that his motorcycle actually started working again, not too long after he had to pull over to the side of the road. However, he forgot his helmet. Now that same day, there was actually a witness who came forward and claimed that the night of Sierra's disappearance, there was a van driving at a high speed around the crime scene and the witness noticed it to be so abnormal and bizarre that they actually got the license plate number of this van. So they give the license plate number to police and police are able to trace the license plate number. And surely enough, the van that was seen at the crime scene that night was registered to James Worley. So police find the van on the property and they decide to look in it. And when they did, they found zip ties, a ski mask, duct tape, and mace all in the van. But that was only the tip of the iceberg. While they were looking throughout the barn, they discovered a room that James had created. And it was almost like this secret hidden room. And this room had an air mattress. It also had several pairs of women's underwear, one of which had blood on it, as well as restraints near the air mattress. In this room, they also found a freezer that was stained with blood throughout it. However, luckily there was nothing found in the freezer. And when police saw this, this was really the smoking gun because regardless of if he had a connection to Sierra's case or not, this is, this is a problem, this is concerning. So they take him in to the police station for questioning while they also continue to search his property. Now, when James gets questioned by authorities as to what this room is and why he has this secret, weird, hidden torture chamber in his house, he said that he is actually creating a porn production company. And that was the room that he was planning on creating into the production company. And quite frankly, I don't know what's worse, the fact that James actually used that as his excuse or the fact that he thought that police would believe it because police had absolutely no doubt in their mind that they had just uncovered James's murder barn and his torture chamber. Now, regardless of how bizarre and disturbing all of this was, police still had no idea where Sierra was because they searched throughout the entire property and she was nowhere to be found. However, that leads us to July 22nd, 2016. So just three days following Sierra's disappearance. On July 22nd, 2016, Sierra's body was discovered in a shallow grave in a field along County Road 7 in Delta, Ohio, which is just a few miles southwest of James's property. Her body was found with her wrists handcuffed behind her back and bound to her ankles. She was also found with a large plastic toy in her mouth in order to gag her, and she was wearing an adult diaper. Now, when the medical examiner performed an autopsy, they concluded that Sierra died of asphyxiation caused by the gag in her mouth. 
However, there was no signs of sexual assault. The medical examiner was not able to determine an exact time of death, so they did not know how long Sierra had been out there. It had been three days since her abduction, but they didn't know when during those three days she passed away. Now, simultaneously, as Sierra's body was being recovered, police were also able to get a positive DNA match on a piece of duct tape on the inflatable mattress that was in James's barn, and that DNA matched Sierra's. Now, because of that, that obviously was able to place Sierra at the barn at some point. Police also looked through James's phone records and they were able to determine that the day Sierra went missing, James spent roughly two hours near the crime scene. Now, along with all of that, James's court mandated therapist came forward and he had this therapist due to his past convictions. And his therapist said that James had told them that he quote, learned from each abduction he had done and the next one he was going to bury. So he says that to his therapist and then Sierra ends up being found buried in a shallow grave. Now, I'm not sure if what James said to his therapist was ever reported when he said it. However, all we know is that police were made aware of it after the fact. And I think his wording is very interesting in that with each abduction, because there are only two reported abductions that he had committed, which were Robin's and Sierra's. And when he uses words like each, it goes to show that he either had planned to commit more or he had and hadn't gotten caught yet. Now, James was arrested the same day that Sierra's remains were found, and he was arrested and charged with aggravated murder, kidnapping, felonious assault, abduction, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. He entered a plea deal of not guilty on all charges, and a trial began in March of 2018. Now, in the trial, the prosecution had to come up with a theory as to what they believed happened that day. They believed that James had ambushed Sierra after encountering her on County Road 6. They believed that he hit her over the head with his motorcycle helmet, which could explain the blood that was found on the helmet. They then believe that he waited with her in the cornfield until the sun set, and then based off of his phone records, they believed that James called his brother to set up an alibi. James had called his brother and told him that his motorcycle broke down, and not only does that give him an alibi, but it also bought him time to be able to stay with Sierra in the cornfield until after the sun set. Now, once it was dark outside, the prosecution believes James then got back on his motorcycle and drove it home before getting in his van and going back to where Sierra was. Now, it's either believed that Sierra was unconscious at this point or she was restrained. Prosecution then said that they believe that James put Sierra in his van and took him back to his barn. And that is why her DNA was found on the duct tape on the air mattress. Now we don't know, and it hasn't been said 
what happened to Sierra once she got to the barn or how long she was there. However, it is believed that at some point, James tied her up with her hands and ankles behind her back and suffocated her with the toy in her mouth before she was transported back to the cornfield and buried about two feet deep in a shallow grave. Now in the trial, police also testified and said that they went through James's laptop and when they did, they found that he had pornography searches for terms such as hogtied teen, rape, stranded, and helpless. Now, along with that, and this really just, you know, again, is the smoking gun in this case, the handcuffs that were found on Sierra. Remember how I told you earlier that she was found with her hands handcuffed behind her back? The key to those handcuffs was on James's keychain. So if everything that I had told you did not convince you enough that James was responsible, you know, we have the DNA that puts Sierra at his house. We have all of those things, but the key to the handcuffs was on his keychain. Now, when it comes to the defense, their argument was that James was setting up this pornography production studio and that police just infiltrated it and just made it fit that James was the one responsible for this because he was an easy target considering his past. But luckily, the jury was smarter than that. Closing arguments for the trial ended on March 26th, 2018, and it took the jury less than six hours to come to the verdict that James Worley was found guilty on 17 out of the 19 charges. He was sentenced to death and his execution date is actually May 20th, 2025. Now, police have come forward and said that they believe it is very possible that James is linked to a lot more abductions than they know about. However, James to this day claims his innocence and says that he was not responsible for the abduction or the murder of Sierra Joggin. Now, since Sierra's death, her family has created the Sierra Joggin Memorial Scholarship Fund, and they also created something called Sierra's Law in November of 2017, which is intended to allow the public to search on a website for offenders with murder and kidnapping charges. So basically a sex offender registry for murderers and kidnappers, and Sierra's Law went into effect on March 20th, 2019. Now, it's always very inspirational, however heartbreaking at the same time to see these families who have gone through the most horrific time in their entire life to take that and try and make a positive change out of it. And that, you guys, is the case of Sierra Joggin. Now, like I said in the beginning, I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about this one. Like I said, James to this day claims that he is innocent. However, his execution date is in three years. I'm interested to see if you think that he is connected to any other crimes or any other abductions, what you think about the crime scene, what you think about the case in general. So let me know. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday as well on YouTube and you are not going to want to miss it. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. Bye guys.